applied in different contexts, but it, it is a vision verse that simply says, where there is no vision, uh, or the people cast off restraint, but blessed is the one who heeds wisdom's instruction. So I want to have a conversation tonight about some of the things that are needed to have a vision. Now, maybe the best way I can illustrate this was, um, many of you know I keep good relationships with my family in Norway. My mom immigrated after the Nazi occupation of World War II. Uh, and through the years, growing up in San Francisco, every European wants to visit the city. It's a very European, very cosmopolitan city. But it gave us a great excuse to keep up with extended family. And so for like the last four summers, we've had Norwegian cousins staying with us in July in Texas. And a hot day in Oslo, Norway is 82 degrees. I'm like, you people, uh, we can't get enough Barton Springs. But what's been fun is now they've just started coming through and... Um, so I want to show you one picture. This is my second cousin, Sieve. And when Sieve was a teenager and I was a wee lad, she's probably about 10 years older than me, uh, she came to live with us for the better part of a, um, I don't know, it was a year, but all the boys in the youth group were asking her out. Uh, it, was, it was quite interesting how they took such an interest in visiting our home. But she had four kids. And um, the, uh, the daughter right there in the pink, is her name is Ulrika, and Ulrika is on a professional tennis tour, and so she, every other year or so, will come through Central Texas, and I'll get to join her. Now, her other sister is the one that I want to talk about tonight, and her, she's the eldest, and her name is Josefina. And Josefina has a gift, and it's a family gift, and it's the gift that her great-grandfather had, and his last name was Ikari. And he had this gift for oil painting. And then his son had it. Then it skipped um, Josefina's dad, but she had it. And at a very young age, she took to painting. Now, think about this. We all come from a very American entrepreneurial society. We think that the first signs of talent, what do we do? We go online, we create an Etsy account, we try and create either notoriety or income from it. That's kind of what you do. Talent pays, right? And, and so how can I parlay this into something grander? Except that grandpa took a long view of it. And he came alongside young Josefina and said, you are not allowed to show, you are not allowed to sell one painting until you paint 100. And so you think about all the doodling. You think about all the throwaways. You think about all of the things in the developmental process because not one of those things is just going to happen like in 10 minutes. There is something about applying our craft and getting better before anyone else knows about it. Now, I can only imagine, and we've become friends, and we've had some correspondence, but I can only imagine what it was like when you're like painting number 27. You're like, it's getting better. I can see the progress. And then you get to like painting 62, and you're like, do I really have to keep waiting? And then all along, finishing the work and sitting it in front of the master for him to critique and discuss and evaluate. There is something about the long road of obedience and discipline that is transformational for us. 
I believe this is exactly what God is doing with us. Now, we talk about salvation as something that happens instantly, and I believe it is. But transformation requires several things. It requires us to take a longer view of such things. There is no spiritual lottery that we're going to win that we become a holy person without disciplines. There's not some like overnight success story that all of a sudden we have God's word abiding in our heart. There's not going to be one morning you wake up and are not tempted by stuff. But over time, God begins to shape the desires of our heart in a myriad of ways. Sometimes it's through the company we keep. Sometimes it's through the word that becomes living and active. Sometimes it's just learning that I'm living my life for someone else, not my gratification. All of these things contribute. But the one thing that we cannot do is live like we're on an island and thinking that only my choices affect just me. Now, I would suggest that what's most needed is a vision. And where there is no vision, the people are without restraint. One version of the Bible would say, where there is no vision, the people perish. And I would contend there's a whole lot of people sitting in church as converts, but not disciples. And yet we're called and sent to be disciples. And so it's more than just getting this eternal destination thing figured out when I die. There's this life that we can begin. And I would contend that eternity has already begun that we're supposed to and in being invited into here and now. This is what Jesus announced is that the present availability of the kingdom of heaven is here and now. But that doesn't happen unless we have a vision for growth. Now we're coming up on the new year. And it's very common for people to start thinking about goals and resolutions. Have you ever heard of anyone that made a goal to love more? Most of you are sitting here and you have financial um, plan in place for some kind of retirement. Or maybe to get out of debt. Or maybe because you're saving up for a car. It's kind of normal. Most of us would also say either we're intentional or careful about some kind of dietary um, pursuit, that we want to be able to live healthy and live well. We'll have our indulgences, but we, we want to follow some kind of good eating. Great. You have a vision so that you won't perish. Do you have a vision, a plan in place to grow the capacity of your heart to love because that is exactly what you've been invited into by the God of the universe who is love. He's not just loving as if he can be non-loving. He is love and that's the life we're invited into. So I would suggest as people who are either mildly spiritually curious or devoted Christ followers, what is your plan then? What is a vision you might have well, I suspect it has something to do with you showing up today. But do we have an intentional plan, like a, like a spiritual fitness plan, to grow and exercise these spiritual muscles that they grow in definition? And it looks like we kind of have a fitness plan identified. And so that's really what tonight is about. Now, I would say this. Um, I have a vision for what Mission Hills Church looks like or I want it to become. 
I, in my midlife, decided to start from scratch. Uh, Call it a midlife crisis, but uh, I felt like God had laid something on my heart. And one of the things that I was concerned about was the way we set up church as a very passive learning environment. It was a come and let church worship be the primary um, faith expression. And while I think it is needed, while I think it is valuable, I don't think that this venue is enough to be transformational. So at the end of the day, I wasn't called to be a senior pastor. I wasn't called to be a church planter. I felt called to make disciples. So I want to say something as carefully as I can. And that is this, when I have a vision for the church, I'm also suggesting to you that I have a vision for your life. And you didn't even ask me. It's like unsolicited advice. You're like, hey, we're friends, I like you, but I'm busy. I've got my own expenses, I've got my own ambitions. I know that, but I'm also saying, I feel like God has entrusted me with the spiritual leadership of a community of people to not grow stagnant, but to get busy living. And I'm willing to put out fires at the 11th hour, but I'd rather work proactively to say, what is it that we can do individually and collectively to shape our lives, to have a vision for something life-changing? And that's what I want to talk about as we kind of tune in, uh, like look through this lens of what could Mission Hills look like personally and collectively in the coming days. Now, um, I would submit to you a verse that comes from the Apostle Paul. Imagine Paul writing in the original Olympian times. It was all a very Greek culture, and so what defined the times as the, the Super Bowl wasn't, ever, wasn't anymore the gladiator games. Those had been passed. It was the Olympic competition. They were used to this kind of competitiveness, and he uses the language of the day in the Greek culture to paint a picture for what it looks like to grow spiritually. And I think all of us relate to this very well. And he says this, all athletes are disciplined in their training. They do it to win a prize that will not fade away, but we do it for an eternal prize. So I run with purpose in every step. And I am not just shadow boxing. I discipline my body like an athlete training to do what it should. In other words, I'm inviting you as a participant of Mission Hills to not be a consumer of when I feel like it or when it's convenient, but actually thinking about faith as strict training. This is no joke. Marriages are in the balance. There's people going hungry in Austin. There's... there's, there's, Three doors down, people getting divorced. There's kids that are being abused. I mean, we are God's salvation. This requires a level of training. And the training always produces an increased sensitivity, an increased awareness of what God is inviting us into. Not just call my pastor. I believe if you said yes to Jesus, you said yes to being a full-time minister, regardless of your day job. There is an editor of a magazine uh, that I read called The Plow. Uh, It's kind of an interesting read, uh, but the editor had this to say when he talked about our vocation and our calling. He says, 
um, when the New Testament writers use the words translated in English as vocation or calling, that is, your day job, stay-at-home mom, empty nester, day trader, teacher, designer, what have you, they are never referring to the work, much less to a particular trade or profession. The New Testament knows only one form of vocation, discipleship. Ah, so then what is it, what do we mean when we talk about discipleship? Well, the verse that comes to us is when Jesus sent the disciples out. And so there is this going, but I would simply boil down what does it mean to be a disciple contrasted with what does it mean to just get saved or be a convert. And I would say there's at least three things. I'm not trying to be exhaustive. I'm simply trying to be very, very pragmatic. And the first thing I would say is um, a disciple begins to find his or her voice as it relates to faith. What does that mean? If you grew up in a Catholic tradition, if you grew up in a more of a, a liturgical tradition, if you grew up in an Episcopalian or an Anglican tradition, there is a sense that faith is always something private and prayers are only something to be memorized. And while that is beautiful and there's there's beauty in that. What it does is it creates in us a sense that we don't know how to really articulate something very personal to us. I believe the first part of having, being a disciple of Jesus is being able to put words to how you feel on a deep level about what God has been and is doing in your life. Better than any preaching you'll ever hear is the testimony of since I met Christ, this is what it looks like. And if you are a growing disciple, you have an ability to begin to articulate your faith. And oh, by the way, lest you think this is a weak area, lest you think you're a shy person, lest you think that you're somehow unarticulate, you're better than you think. Trust me, I talk to everyone in this room. You're better than you think. But the point is to grow in a way that you're willing to articulate faith. It's like if you ask me about my children, I could talk all day long about my affections, how they've grown, how they've made me proud, how my heart has been broken. Why? Because that's a very personal relationship, but it's certainly not a private one. You want to see pictures? No, I'm just kidding. I'm not a grandparent yet. There is something that needs to be articulated about our faith if we are to proclaim the good news. Now, secondly, I think there needs to be a developing and intentional practice. I think attendance at worship is part of a larger equation, but here's my concern. We need to be the church whether we're gathered or whether we're scattered. That's why all of us need to think of ourselves as ministers who have the ability to articulate a living faith and walk in God's promises. But I wanted to take a set of values, a set of practices, what we call our rhythms, so that you can have some markers along the way, some target goals in which we can not only articulate, but we can express faith in very tangible ways. And so we like to talk about a shared faith that is unique to Mission Hills, but it's simply the yoke. You know where I got this from, don't you? 
In the Old Testament, specifically the first five books called the Torah, there are 613 commands. Kind of a lot. There's the summary called the Ten Commands. I like that. This Cliff Notes version. But all of the rabbis would have their interpretation of the 613 commands. And they would begin a dialogue, trying to figure out how to summarize it best. One master rabbi could name that tune, summarize it in two of the greatest commandments. What were they? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Ah, what a master rabbi. Well, the thing about it is, some rabbis had different points of emphasis over the 613. Some would say, oh, Sabbath is the most important, and it's really important that you don't carry this kind of stuff, or you can't walk this far, you can't lift this much. And others would say, no, it's all about the poor. You have to serve the least of these. And so what it means to really walk into, they would summarize the 630 and emphasize social justice. Others would say, oh, no, no, no. It's about the quality of your own internal life. And so it's better for you to live in isolation because the world will corrupt you. Every rabbi had their interpretation of what meant following after God somehow legalistic or challenging. What does one master rabbi do? He comes along and he says, because the interpretation of, of this 613 counts was a yoke. Every rabbi had a yoke. And Jesus says, come follow me because what? My yoke is easy better way to say it is useful. My burden is light. So if you grew up in church that felt like a lot of rules, if you grew up what felt like a lot of guilt, Jesus comes along in this freeing way to work out our faith differently. So all I did in the tradition of the ancient rabbis was define a modern day yoke. We talk about it as generosity, recognizing that simply God is the source and we're just trying not to save anyone but save ourselves from believing that we deserve what God's given us. We talk about hospitality as making room for people or learning to receive but figuring out who God's prepared in advance. We talk about community as finding what we have in common. We talk about renewal as a way to repent or turn the other way, the growing awareness of the presence of God in our life. We, we talk about gratitude as a form or a discipline of worship. We, we talk about compassion as simply finding what's uh, someone's need as different than our own. Uh, and then we, we talk about, uh, let's see, I, I'm, just going, I'm just riffing on these now. Uh, gratitude, compassion, generosity, hospitality, community, and apprenticing. We all need to find someone further along, but we all need to have someone we're bringing along. This is what it means to be a disciple. And so I simply call it, we need to develop an intentional practice. And then thirdly, I would say, we need to be able to share it with those closest. And what I think the modern church lacks is the ability to pass on a living faith. What we teach is a Sunday school, drag your kid to church, and it might or might not take. And what I'm saying is there is a living faith that we can impart. And so I like to fancy a sort of a lifestyle church. Not come casually, but take it so seriously that it begins to integrate into all of our life. So what I'm simply suggesting is better events or even the best preaching 
or the best church programs won't transform our lives. They will help, and they do. But the issue is that we have to contend with is always engagement. How will I participate in God's salvation? And so the vision of Mission Hills is to develop a lifestyle that allows you to engage in faith, whether we're gathered or whether we're apart. I love meeting your friends and neighbors. I love meeting them in your context or downtown. It's super important to me. Um, and I love being a champion alongside you, but I want to support you in being a minister to them. Um, but think about this. Imagine us, and um, I'm going to invite you to pull out a couple of things. Imagine us having our fourth anniversary, which is we're having in this February. Um, but imagine what it would be like when we start to have events. And in our events, you're sitting there thinking, oh, we're going to celebrate our fourth anniversary. And it's not, am I coming? It's as the weeks leading up to it, you start praying for Mission Hills in a celebration because we don't want to just give ourselves a pat on the back. We want to throw parties for the sake of others. This year, we're not doing a masquerade. We're not doing a Gatsby party. We're not doing an arcade event. What we're doing is kind of Shark Tank meets Love Your Neighbor. We're doing something called The Pitch. We're going to go to a neutral venue and we have in our Good Neighbor Fund $2,000 that we're setting aside. And here's what you're going to do. Oh, I want to invite someone to give away money because we're going to hear three eight-minute presentations from local nonprofits with the basic question of how are you loving your neighbor? Because that's what we're all about. And for the winner, Simple Majority wins. They get 1000 bucks, and the two runners-up get 500 bucks. It's a fundraiser, and they don't even have to give to come. Does that sound like something that someone who is just institutionally skeptical would want to come to? I hope so. But the worst thing you could do is not pray leading up to it. And the worst thing after that is not invite leading up to it. Because we, the church, need to make faith and community as accessible as possible. So what if on the days of events, you're driving in your minivan, you've got your friends in tow, your kids in tow, and you have so rehearsed what our rhythms are, and if each event on the first weekend of each month, you're saying, oh, this is what we're going to. Why are we going to that? Well, let me paint a picture, because this is what spiritual leadership does. You're imparting a living faith, and you say, today, we are practicing hospitality. What's hospitality? Sometimes hospitality means we make room for people. Other times, hospitality means we learn to receive from people. But in both cases, we're trying to figure out the people that God's prepared in advance. We call that evangelism. I want each of you to be able to articulate faith in a concise way just like that so that you're driving your way and you're like you're not talking about what the chores are or what needs to be get you're actually making it a conversation about why we do what we do and so I want to introduce you to kind of um, uh, three things that I think we're trying to develop a culture of discipleship around now the first thing is a shift we're going to make and in 2020, I've just been thinking, now, we brought something to market three years ago, and we just kind of made it workable. But we're growing, and we're evolving. We're trying to change. One of the things, we need to grow larger, because I think there's more people that need to meet. I'm hoping we can gain some traction. To date, we have had, on the first weekend of each month, we have call it Church as Tribe. What we're shifting that is calling it Church as Laboratory. Rather than gathering for worship, 
We're going to gather and experiment with what we believe is true about God. We're going to practice our rhythms. But what we've found over the first three years is that where we've had the most sustained and consistent success is when we come together for our corporate <coughs> events. So on the first weekend of a month, we're going to be able to put together an all-church Cinco de Bayou. You know this. Or, or, or the pitch event. And so you can go through the months. Um, we're going to put together a croquet derby because um, everyone needs to bring your playing partner. No one's actually good at this. We're calling it a barefoot formal. So coat, tie, shorts, and bare feet, some old bridesmaid's dress, and you show up and we're going to eat comfort food and play croquet. And if you're as young as seven years old, you can play croquet. And you have to bring a partner to play with that doesn't go to this church. Why? Because we believe in hospitality, and hospitality is making faith and community accessible. So we're going to put together a women's retreat on the first weekend and then do a guys and kids event while the women are gone. We want to have a folk throwdown where it's kind of a short set, kind of a, a, a music turnover. We have some people that B has been investing in for years and we're just going to bring in a short set. We're going to bring food in. But it's a very Austin way to say, how can people who are spiritually curious but institutionally skeptical put their toe in the water and get around the community of faith, because there is hope on the other side of that. Um, we, we've done Lake Day, where we bring in a lot of Im, uh, immigrant friends uh, and bring them out to the water. I mean, when, when they get behind a boat and go tubing, that's like, that's like going to Six Flags for them, and they've never done that before. The most they've done is rowed a boat. Uh, and then we talked about doing a sip and slide, where it's like a 100-foot uh, slip and slide, but we want to have like sippy cups, and we want to have like food, and we want to put together gift boxes, and everyone bring contributions to support some of the foster care ministries that we're part of. Barbecue and trivia, something we haven't done for a couple of years, but it's a, there's I mean, who wants to wait four hours for Franklin Barbecue when you can show up and for 20 bucks, just go right to the front of the line and get your fill of Franklin's Barbecue with some trivia, with a little singer-songwriter, uh, and some fun prizes. Oktoberfest, Fall Retreat, Conspiracy of Compassion. These are some of the things that we want to do collectively on the first weekend. These are not take the Sunday off. These are, when you put your kids to bed at night, you're praying for these events. And you're asking your kids to consider who should we be bringing? And you're letting those names surface because friends, we've got some room to grow. But we've got some lives that we need to invest in for healing and wholeness. The second thing that I want to begin to evolve is what I call Tribes 3.0. I say it 3.0, so if you've been around here, you know this. For the first year and a half, we introduced tribes, and we were meeting on alternating weekends. The first and the third weekend was tribe. The second and the fourth weekend was worship. It was great, but we called it two sides of the same coin called church. And, and, and it worked well. We had three tribes at the time, except that um, people were constantly saying, is this a worship week, or is this a tribe week, or when do you guys meet? And it was really inaccessible unless you were on the inn. And so a year and a half into that, we tried to introduce something that said, well, we're going to start worshiping three, day, three of the Sundays a month and then keep the first for tribes. And then we asked tribes to find a secondary meeting during the month. Um, it worked half as well, not quite optimally. Uh, but what we found is it 
it was not enough to grow and develop a sense of community meeting once a month. And so what we want to do now going forward is we want to say tribes are going to meet locally, but we want to have one meeting where tribe leaders bring adults together and have a conversation and a prayer. Now, the discussion guide is, will be provided. The content will be provided. You just have to kind of carve out maybe once a month that you say, we're gonna have a babysitter for two hours that we can actually have meaningful dialogue for. There's a second meeting, and this is what's new I wanna introduce, is a huddle meeting. And this will have a separate leadership because frankly, our tribe leaders are really tired of corralling people to gather and meet. It's super hard. Because imagine trying to get your schedule, let alone like six other people, family schedules together. So we want to have separate huddle leaders. And a huddle leader will basically be a part of that group, but gather the men up a second time. And then another huddle leader will gather up the women. So what I want you to do is see, this is a part of the extended family of faith. I need to find my contribution. And oh, if you're a huddle leader, you'll still have the same discussion guide. You'll still have the same content. You might be sort of championing what we're doing for, for Lent during the new normal. It might be notes and questions based on a message I'm giving or a rhythm we're working our way through. But I will provide the kind of content to give your meeting time the kind of substance that I think people are looking for. But here's the thing. This small of a church doesn't need to think about developing community because we're small enough that we can keep up with each other. But if we stay here, this is not what God's called us to. We have to build the infrastructure to grow for more faces. And when we get up to 100, and when we get up to 200, we need the infrastructure in place to be able to nurture one another because I can't be on everyone's speed dial being the only shepherd leader. We need the infrastructure to share the shepherding load. And this is how I want to do it. And I want to do it as locally as possible. And if people in your neighborhood will come to your women's huddle or your men's huddle, great. They don't have to come to Mission Hills. But we want to be able to invest locally. Because what are we doing as disciples? We're learning to articulate a living faith. We have an intentional practice. And, and we're learning to impart it to those closest. The third thing that I'm so excited to introduce for year four is our youth tribe. Could I get an amen? I mean, this is a huge deal. We have so many areas to grow in, but I've wanted, I've done youth ministry for years, and the last thing I wanted to do was to create this attractional environment where somehow we entertain teenagers, and they all show up, and you try not to, like let it lose its PG rating or, you know, a fight break out or whatever. I mean, I've done all kinds of outreach things. What I want to do is make it consistent with our DNA and have the, 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 the students, which we have a growing group of junior and senior hires. And so how it'll work is twice a month, they will have a church as a, kind of a youth tribe expression on the first weekend. If it's something like Cinco de Bayo, they'll join us and, and they'll just kind of create something that's, you know, maybe an activity for youth. But if it's not something that's super youth-friendly, um, then they'll create their own. But on the third week of each month, when we dismiss the kids out to their children's room, we'll dismiss them out to another room to have a youth-focused discussion teaching time, like we do with the kids. 
So it's kind of a twice a month rhythm. Then every other couple months, there'll be kind of a youth outing that we're just on. And the reason this is all possible is because Wesley, who has had his um, kind of some experience with youth ministry, he's currently working for Upper 90, which is a, a youth-focused, a nonprofit endeavor that gets to combine his, his language skills with his soccer passions uh, and his heart for the least of these. And so I've been talking to Wesley, and I was like, we need a youth tribe. Wesley is not going to like swallow quarters and spit out goldfish. He's not that guy, but he is a guy who will bring substance and conversation and, and he will bring care. And so we're really excited about him starting that. And so we're starting to calendar and ramp up for that uh, because we, again, we have some more kids that are merging in the youth ranks. Uh, and then if you see some of the things that we hope to, we have some six-month targets and some 12-month targets. And so that's something that we're really thrilled about. Um, so let me just say this. Uh, as we grow, um, help is needed, but, comma, some help is already here. Dalen, I want to invite you up. Uh, just come up here for a second. Uh, we began this prayer and this process uh, a while ago. This is Dalen Rock. Dalen answered the call. Uh, we are really excited about him and Lauren joining our staff. This is their first Sunday with us for worship. On his interview weekend, I was like, you can come to worship with us, but why don't you just check out what we do for tribes? And so we did tour to Austin, uh, and it was a full day. They loved it. Um, he just spent the last four years at Dallas Theological Seminary, which is no joke. He has more theological training than I do. Uh, and um, I'm, you know, like I tell you, I'm still working on spelling, you know, Jesus with a J and not a G. Uh, he actually has a ton of great scholarship. Um, and our leadership team started saying, Dave, we have got to get you some help. And my role has always been lead discipler. And I said, well, I don't want to just hire a youth pastor. I don't want to hire a program. I want to hire someone that can grow into another lead discipling role. Because the role of the pastor, based on Ephesians 4, is training and equipping of the saints doing the work of the ministry. You've been in this for four years. You've known this day is coming. You and Lauren came, and I mean, you, you guys have interviewed a lot. You've applied a lot. You knew that kind of graduation was coming, which happened in May. Mm -hmm. What was it about Austin? What was it about Mission Hills? What was it about our relationship that just went, this is it? It was a variety of things, but one of the kind of wonderful things just seeing the tribe weekend that we visited was the church as laboratory feel that everything was, it was very much about making this a holistic part of your life, not just a learning experience, but actually uh, taking what we learn and actually going out and going out into the community and loving others and bringing others into this hope that Christ gives. And I was so attractive that I was like, this is where I want to end up. I have to share one thing that um, it would be the opposite of you had me at hello, but it was at the end of our weekend together. I guess it was you had me at goodbye. Um, <laughs> but they said together and they looked at each other. We were at the, they were in our dining room and we were having a leadership team interview with them. And, and they said, um, listen, I understand if we're not a right fit. We are conducting a multiple candidate search. But he says, we've been interviewing, we've looked a lot of places. Um, even if we're not a fit, we found um, something here. We want to go do this somewhere. We're going to do this. And so 
when, when we heard that, we felt such resonance, right? And so uh, we were like, well, that makes me feel good. One of the things, and you'll get to hear more of his story, Dalen didn't grow up in church per se. He, he was not a church brat. He grew up in a broken home, uh, but he had kind of a come to Jesus literally experience uh, at the University of Oxford in England while studying abroad while he was in college. And so uh, he didn't come to us with all the church trappings of this is how church always looks. And that works well for Mission Hills. Everyone scratches their head when they're like, can, can churches do this? Including my parents. <laughs> oh, he's talking them off the ledge. Yes, Jesus is in this place too. Um, here's what I want to do. Just, uh, and we're not done yet, but Lauren, would you come up? And then I want to ask the elders, just kind of our, Connie, would you come up and Chip and Gary? I want to just have a time of commissioning that we just agree together with this new couple. We thought it would be fun to just pound you like a baby shower, but pound you with pounds of stuff that go into your, uh, into your uh, pantry uh, and celebrate your arrival here. And then Georgia, would you come? This is Lauren's mom. And here's what you gain in a mom. And I told her when I met her, this is the first time I met her today, I was like, I can always tell uh, someone who's been well-loved. And so one of the things you get with the in-laws is you get an intercessor. Because now the kids are getting involved in trenches. Now the kids are getting involved in the hard work. Uh, I feel like we gained an intercessor here. And I said, would you just lead us as we lay hands on them and pray together? I will bring the anointing and you bring the words. But can we just all agree together in prayer uh, for them as we commission them for ministry here at Mission Hills Church? Can we do that? So let's just lay hands on them. and Go ahead, Georgia. Father, my heart is just full of gratitude, Father, for who you are, and also, Father, for what you have done. Father, I thank you um, for Lauren and Dale, and I thank you for their heart and their love for you. I thank you, Father, that you have heard the prayers of not only me and Ken, um, but so many other saints. <laughs> Lord, we pray for a new beginning and extension of our plan that uh, this would continue to further your word and our mission in the community, Lord. Pray for the right couple. Thank you for blessing us with this uh, great couple and, and uh, for showing us your plan for our lives and for our church. And I thank you, Father, yes. that you have put them in this body of believers. I thank you, Father, for the work that you've already started here. And I just pray that, Father, that you would work and continue to grow um, both Lauren and Dalen as individuals, as a couple that can join fellowship with this body of believers, Father, um, to continue yes. the work of going out to the world and presenting the gospel and being that evidence and that truth of who you are mm -hmm. and who you say yes, we Lord. should be as a body of believers. Yes, Lord. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. We pray this in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Oh, <laughs> I'm so glad you were here today. Thank you so much. Give them a hand, you guys. Well, 
uh, let me just say this. Help uh, is needed. And so there's a couple of things um, I want you to begin praying about. Um, if you feel called, if you feel a nudge, if you feel um, willing, you don't have to feel confident or able uh, to be a tribe leader, to be a huddle leader. Uh, we just need someone to kind of gather the church in smaller ways and uh, in intentional ways. Uh, the other thing you can do is I am trying to very actively be on um, things like Facebook and Instagram. We need invites and shares. Uh, we need to get the word out about what we're doing here. And um, it doesn't go without prayer, but if you can kind of pass the word along uh, as, as you have kind of steward your own circles of influence. Um, and then uh, the other things that I would say is we have a need for more help in our liturgy. And if you come early, we gather for prayer, and I'll describe to you what liturgy actually means. It is the word worship. And in the Latin, it means the work of the people. It is the fact that we're not coming to a service to attend. It is the service of the people. It's making and setting up coffee. It's um, setting up chairs. It's putting out sound equipment. It's making sure we have what we need. Um, it, it is our family business. And we need more help with that. And I want to help disciple you and your kids so that church isn't just something you consume, but it's a worship that we serve at. Uh, and, and so there are needs with our, our children's ministry. And there, there's needs with sound help. Uh, and so this is just an extended family. And the older my kids got, the more I expected of them. So the older we get, the more I'm just going to expect us to kind of rise up and say, well, I'm not great, but I can do that. Uh, it's not a high skill job, but it's got to get done. And um, I would like, I need some help. <laughs> and uh, I'm really worried about having pastoral staff getting to do the majority of the work. Our work is equipping as according to scripture. And so we need enlistment and engagement. And that, that's our hope. And then the, the third thing is, is we really need your financial awareness. This is a shared endeavor. We are inviting you to systematically participate with us each month with your finances. And this is why, is because we are by faith moving ahead and taking on more expenses. And so we're asking you to financially think about us because when you wanna grow, it requires you to spend more. And we're just saying, Lord, we have, with the lowest overhead, we're not a high production, obviously. We're, we keep a low overhead, and so we've built up some reserves, but now we're going into spending mode. And I'm asking you to go into giving mode. Partner with us step by step. Pray about it. When you come to the end of the year, as you think about bonuses, as you think about year-end contribution, but even more importantly, as you get into next year and you think about financially partnering with us, I, would, I don't even like to say 10% because I think that robs God. Because I want to be sensitive to um, the chance to give more. And that's been Laurel and I's journey all along, is not to limit God to just 10%, but if you need a kind of a, a rule of thumb or at least a, a short-term goal, start there and trust God in these things. Well, I started out by telling you a story about Josephine and... Um, I was there in 2011. And my mom, and you have to understand, the grandpa Ikuri 
we had his oil paintings hanging in our dining room. And there was one in our living room. I knew it. And it was always these classic Norwegian landscapes. And if you know the colors, it's like a mustard yellow. It's like a barn red uh, of these hit, uh, like a, the summer cabins. And there's these fjords. And it's always very beautiful landscapes. My mom had been after Josephine, knowing that she had the family gift. Oh, Josephine. Would you just give me, I, I will pay for it, but I want one, I have one of your grandfathers, I have your great grand. I want one of your paintings. And she always told him, well, thank you, Tante Torin, that's so sweet, but Grandpa says I can't give or sell one of my way until I do 100. But when I was there in 2011, we took our kids for the very first time, and when we went out to the summer cabin to visit Sieve, Josephine wasn't there. But we brought our family in, and as we walked in their mudroom, there was a picture sitting on an easel. And as we walked in, she said, Josephine couldn't be here today, but she's preparing a gallery of 100 paintings that her grandfather has now approved. But this is number 101, and she wanted your mom to have this. That has so much meaning to me. It's a family piece, and it was hanging in San Francisco at my parents' house, and they sold the family homestead after 43 years, and all my mom could do is say, David, take it back with you. I brought it from Oslo back to Austin to San Francisco, and then she brought it back and said, no, I think you should keep it. You know, there is this idea that I want God to do something right now yesterday. And I'm waiting for God to produce more results. I feel like I have talent that I can't parlay into more bodies. I feel like I have insight and wisdom and counseling that I can't fix more marriages. And yet I go to the Lord every day and ask for results. And when I see this picture, I'm reminded of the master artist who's shaping my life and saying, be faithful with what you've got because I can see the work. And what happens in you, Sunday, is better than what happens even through you. So let your life be the canvas for me to paint on. And God is doing a very slow work in Mission Hills. It is a very... Um, developmental process we don't have a high attractional strategy we are not trying to have super sexy worship with smoke machines that draws out people that is not our approach but what we are trying to do is trying to make investments in people's lives and it always starts with us and even after the 45th worship service you're like god can't i be better further more loving than this and he's like Boy, if you would have seen what I saw at painting 10 versus painting 59, I could see such a change in you. And so when I see this, I didn't get to see all 100 that she did for the gallery. But I see 101 and I go, I'm hopeful. And, and if I could sit over coffee with each of you and begin to talk about the trajectory of our lives since we've known each other, I could say the exact same thing. So take heart. Be of good cheer. God is doing a work that even we can't see at times, but he's growing us. So let's 
pray together and we'll just close in worship. Our Father in heaven, continue the good work you began. Thank you that you are like a master artist who, who sees the growth, who sees the potential, and you do not leave us as orphans, but you cord us into intimacy and in learning how to love and reflect your love. God, would you continue this masterpiece that is our life in you? We know we are not righteous, but in Christ, we are your righteousness. And so would you continue your developmental work in us? And would you grow this church uh, in a way uh, where, where we're not just seeing conversions, we're seeing disciples. And we're not just seeing people come in, but we're seeing people sent out. And we're seeing a living, reproductive faith because we know how to articulate it, practice it, and give it away. And so we pray this in the strong name of Jesus and all God's people said, amen. Let's stand and sing and raise our hallelujah.